2: you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and
1: 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And we're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, we're going to be talking some KU football off the rip here we got Matt Tate joining us at 3.35. Kevin Flaherty will hop on with us at 4.40. Later on the show, NFL Week 15 recap coming. Some more KU basketball talk coming in the 5 o'clock hour. And we have some uh, Lance Leipold audio we're going to get to coming up a little bit later in the show. Uh, before we get to our, because we're officially one week out from today, when KU will be playing their bowl game against UNLV in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Playing what? Uh, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, bowl game. When? When? December twenty a week for... What, what are you doing? Who? Um, Devin Dye has committed to Kansas. Before we get into any of that, uh, Devin Dye is the transfer safety from Utah State. Yep. And he uh, is the brother of Jalen Dye, who KU already has. He's also, both of them are the son of Jermaine Dye, former MLB baseball player, Chicago White Sox, I think world champion, uh, Kansas City Royal. And uh, Jalen Dye has kind of worked his way up in the two deep that, you know, he's gotten some snaps here and there for KU. And uh, Devin Die, after a couple years at JUCO, went to Utah State this past year, had himself a nice season as a safety there. Uh, Utah State's a bowl team. They're 6-6. Six and six. And actually, they might be playing in a bowl game tonight. Uh, I don't imagine he'll be playing in the bowl game. So he ended up uh, going and getting offers from Utah. He got an offer from Kansas State. I think he was on a visit at Kansas State, and he ended up being like, you know, I'm, I'm right over here. I might as well go. KU, and visited, loved it,
3: committed, boom, he's a Jayhawk. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, uh, it, you know, I don't have a brother, obviously, but if I did, if I had to go into the mind of somebody with a brother, and uh, I played sports, I, one of the things that I want to do is, is play with my brother. I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, so I'm sure that was probably part of the appeal, and and uh, yeah, you know, well, I mean, after visiting K-State, why would you not want to then visit KU, and wow, realize that KU's better. Shocking. Uh, so... Yeah, this is a a good commitment for Kansas. You know, you look at their secondary. They did lose some guys out of that secondary. They obviously still are awaiting the, uh, I guess, official announcement of Kobe Bryant. Last I checked, his YouTube channel, by the way, was at like 3,200, I think. Oh, we're getting close. He needs 3,500 to make his announcement. Uh, So I think we're getting pretty close. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so this is a good commitment. Add some depth on the back end.
0: 3,340. 160 people away. Wow. Wow.
3: Have you done your part? I have. Okay. Wow, well, good
0: job. You said yesterday you hadn't, though. No, I So, have I you done your part? I won't. Why?
3: No. Because I, I, I don't go on YouTube enough. No. Sorry. <laughs> this is distracting from Devin Die. So, yeah, Devin Dye, listen, played over 600 snaps for Utah State this season. So, uh, a guy that has a lot of experience under his belt, and uh, I think will have a chance to come in for KU and certainly add some depth, right? You look at the safety position for Kansas, O.J. Burroughs, really, really quality safety, but you're going to lose Kenny Logan you do have Marvin Grant but you would like to have you know some more guys back there. I think you you figure Jason Gilliam's role is going to go up quite a bit assuming Craig Young is gone next season at that hawk position but maybe Jay, maybe Devin Dye's a player that could be in the in the mix for something like that as well. So I think it's it's a position where it's a position group in the secondary where you can never have too much experience or too much depth and uh, I think it's a definitely good addition for Kansas and and you know they're they're going to be still looking to add more players uh, on that defense as well, especially if there's guys up front on the D-line that, that make their decisions one way or the other. So uh, more to come, I'm sure, for the defense for Kansas. Uh,
0: he captioned in his post that he's committing, let's work. Mm. Rank these these captions. Let's we have, work. Let's work. Uh. Back for revenge, which was Melo Dotson, and then unfinished business, which was uh, Deshaun Hanneke.
3: Oh, okay, okay. So... I think one is probably unfinished business. Okay, that's one. Two, let's work. Three, back for revenge. Mm. Back for revenge is just too vague for me. It's too vague.
0: violent. <laughs> no, uh, this is this is a nice gift for KU. Kenny Logan gone at the end of the year. Yeah, I'd imagine OJ Burrows and Marvin Grant will be your two starting safeties next season, but. KU plays a lot of three-safety looks because yeah. Kenny Logan, Marvin Grant, O.J. Burroughs were playing on the field together a lot. That yeah. means you have another safety out there. So could that other safety be Jalen Dye? Could it be Devin Dye? Could it be uh, Mason Ellis, who's a young player who's been coming along and playing some special teams this year? Could it be Taylor
3: Davis, a guy who came in as a freshman and well, heard really good things about and his staff? You think about those safeties, you know, Marvin Grant plays more of that aggressive downhill box safety style. O.J. Burrows is more of a traditional cover guy and Kenny Logan was kind of a guy that could do it all, right? So if you're going to be running if you're going to be playing with Marvin Grant and O.J. Burrows, you probably want another guy in there who can bring some different aspects to that to that room.
0: I definitely think Devin Dye is more of a coverage guy. Um you look at his pro football focus grades. He had a 59.9 tackling grade, but he had a 74.5 coverage grade. He had just a uh, 74.7 NFL passer rating against, just a 58 completion percentage against. I view him as being more of like a coverage guy. So maybe maybe that means he is the backup for O.J. Burrows. Maybe Jalen Dye becomes the third safety. And then maybe the backup for Marvin Grant becomes a Taylor Davis or something like that, right? But it gives you more flexibility. And then, you know, when you look at it, if Marvin Grant and O.J. Burrows are your two main starters next year, both those guys will be in their final year next year. So then you'll be looking for new starters come 2025. And wouldn't that be cool if Devin Dye, who has two years left to play for what it's worth, so does Jalen Dye after this year, if they were both starters in 2025, that'd be really cool to say that you had both those guys
3: back there. So, yeah, yeah. Because I, nice I think pickup. Devin Die is a he'll be a redshirt junior next Correct. season. I think technically,
0: yeah, because he, he redshirted his first year JUCO, played the second year, then Utah State this year's redshirt sophomore. Okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So two more years to play. So that'll be cool. Uh, anyway, we are a week out from KU UNLV in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which is a late night game
3: next Tuesday. Honestly, though, I'm actually happy it's not that it's not that late. I mean 8 is not that late. Yeah,
0: they said they moved it up an hour from where it was the year before. Yeah.
3: Which thank god because I have ha- I was already having not, war, not I was tough. already having On war Thursday flashbacks night. to the Nevada game. Yeah. Where except now it was you have a to, go stre- to work the next
0: day. <laughs> like
3: <laughs> well, and the Nevada game it was a stressful game and it's you know, it's 1:30 a.m. and West I'm team. yelling and I'm like dude, this sucks. Like I just really just want to go to bed, you know. So uh, yeah, I'm. I am. I'm thrilled. I am thrilled that uh, it's at 8 p.m. To be honest,
0: I'm. I'm cool with that. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, as the off season's gone on here, it it's been gosh like two weeks since we found out what KU's bowl game was in. Hey, these these I, I don't know. It feels like such a long laugh. Have Have you gotten more, <laughs> more confident, less confident, or anything like that? Is about KU's. Mm, I, here? I've
3: okay. I I've gotten more confident. Honestly, uh, I've gotten more confident. I I really really like Jason Bean. Obviously. Uh, I think uh, KU's got, you know, uh, the with when it comes to the offense, the big discussion is around you know Andy Kolnicki leaving in the offensive coordinator situation, but honestly, that his, Andy Kolnicki's departure has not changed my thought process on the offense at all for this bowl game, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm being foolish here, but I've kind of talked myself into expecting this to be the same offense that we've seen all season. I really think that with Jim Zabrowski at the helm for uh, in a one game. I'm expecting KU to be doing a lot of the same things that they had already been doing over the course of the whole season uh, with Jim Zabrowski. So that, that's just kind of that's just kind of the vibe that I'm getting. I don't think there's going to be a massive change uh, in this in this one-game sample. Now, going forward, obviously, with Jeff Grimes, you figure next season there's going to be some different things you might see from the offense. But I kind of feel like it's going to be a lot more of the same for KU uh, in this game against UNLV uh, in a one-game sample size. So I'm really not sweating the loss of Andy Kolnicki too much. Uh, maybe as much as, as, as I was when it was when it f- was first announced and you felt like that was kind of a big loss. But then you kind of take a step back and you realize, you know, Andy Kulnicki was was a very creative mind and certainly one of the most up-and-coming young offensive coordinators in the country. And there's a reason why he was a hot name and there's a reason why Penn State was willing to fork over as much money as they did to get him. But Kansas, at the end of the day, they have a structure built with Lance Leipold they have an offense that has talented players on it with Jason Bean with Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, the receiving core like Andy Kolnicky was not the one thing that drove this entire offense. So I I have confidence with Jim Zabrowski in a one game sample size that the offense is going to is is going to be fine. It's going to be able to still do a lot of what they've done this season. So that gives, so I have more confidence there for sure. Well, I mean, I don't know if, I guess I don't have more confidence, but I have like the same. Like basically I haven't lost any confidence, I guess. Uh and then when you look at the defense with against UNLV you know, this is a UNLV team that they have a freshman quarterback. They have one explosive receiver on the outside. But KU has, for now at least, Melo Dotson coming back, and you would assume Kobe Bryant is going to come back and play in the game. I guess I guess he could end up not. Gotta, if, it.
0: I mean, if you would subscribe
3: to his YouTube, we'd find out. <laughs> it's your fault. So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, you look at some of the strengths that UNLV has on offense, and their strengths are the same strengths that KU has. And I'll take KU in those situations. So, I, I feel better about the game, really. I, I think I think KU's in a good position. You know, there's a reason why, uh, Kate, this is one of the games that has the largest betting line for, for KU at the minus 12, 13, whatever, or I got it to 14, I think, at one point. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the highest out of any bowl games out there. So uh, I, I feel really confident about KU going into this game right now.
0: Yeah, I, I feel good about it, too. And it's, like, I, I think UNLV is a solid squad. It's it's a little yeah, less no, about it's, that.
3: It's not a about against UNLV at all.
0: And when you look at, like, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to figure out with bowl games. This is just across the country, generally speaking. How much is, is the team going to care about it? You know, how many opt-outs are you going to have? But beyond that, even the players who are playing, are they into the game? Are they into the situation? I guess we don't totally know till kickoff, but I feel like Kansas is into it. Yeah. Because you look at them not having a bowl win since the 2008 Insight Bowl, you look at losing the bowl game last year. You look at the fact that you have guys like Devin Neal, like Austin Booker, like Kobe Bryant, who potentially could go pro. I don't know if they will, but they could and could opt out of the bowl game. And that hasn't even been a discussion. Like none of them have even wavered at this point, at least from the guys we have had a chance to, to kind of hear from uh, in some of the media scrums and stuff. So um, I, I think Kansas, and, and two, when you look at, this is the exclamation point opportunity for Jason Bean. It just feels yeah. like as storybook of a season uh, this has been from the local perspective, it, it almost feels deserving that they should wrap this thing up with a bull win. Yeah.
3: No, to your point, the guys that I think about when I think about this game, you mentioned Jason Bean, but again, I'm, I'm thinking of the guys that have been through this program through thick and Thin that we've talked about a lot over the course of, the, of their careers in this season. Guys like Kenny Logan and Mason Fairchild. I think those are the guys yeah. that are, are deserving of, you know, Mike Davitsky. Guys that, that came in and were part of this process or, or, or you know, like I said, Fairchild and Logan for in their cases have been have been here even through the lowest of lows, right? So it feels like for those guys, you know, not necessarily the guys that have a choice to go to the NFL or not, but to me it's the, the guys that have been here for four, five, six years. Guys like Hayden Hatcher as well who have really, really, really gutted it out for the program. Those are the guys that I think about that I say, okay, yeah. These dudes deserve to go out on top, deserve to go out with a bull victory to cap off, you know, a really really great season for Kansas. Get them to nine wins, something this program has not done very many times in their 100-year history, and really, and really, feel like you've feel like you've gone out and truly been a part of something, accomplished something, and have officially set this program on the right path. Right? I I feel like there's, you know, I I've, I hate to bring this up, but you know, the K-State game haunts me a lot because that felt like a game where you had the chance to to do that. But that's in the past now. You have a chance to do it again, though. Here, like if you if you win this game, I think it'll. I think it could have the same, maybe not. I guess not necessarily the same impact as a K State win, but the same impact from a standpoint of like closing the chapter, closing the book on the previous era, and and really writing the first pages of what we think could be the new era of KU football with Lance Leipold and and everything else that's you know Jalen Daniels if if he's part of it and all and all that. So. This, this does feel like a chance, another another chance really for for some of those guys to really write their final chapters and write the feel-good story to end it the way that they want to end it, and and, and, the, and at the same time, really turn that page over to the new era.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just feel like it's deserved, and I know that's not how it always works out, um, and, and that doesn't mean anything. You have to earn what you get on the field, but... I just, I, there's something about it to me that just, it, it feels like that would be the fitting end for this team and this, you know, group of, of players. Um, and you mentioned some of the offense coordinator stuff, how that could affect it. I, I like you, I kind of agree. I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I, I don't think the, the portal losses, at least yet, from anything we've heard, I mean, who knows, maybe one pops up last minute. At this point, you're a week away from the bowl game, I feel like. Uh, at this point, anybody who's going to transfer out of KU probably is just going to wait till after the bowl game, right? Um, but, yeah, Gage Keyes, like, he's a rotational player. You won't have him for the game. Tanaka Scott, one of the backup receivers. I, I think they're going to be fine at both spots without him, uh, yeah. especially because you look at it in, like, the D tackle spot. You know, maybe if he was in the middle of the season and you didn't have Gage Keys, that would have really hurt because Devin Phillips had to deal with injuries at different points. Uh, Tommy Dunn had to deal with injuries at different points. But... Now you've had three weeks off. Everybody should be healthy, except for the, like, season-ending injury guys, right? So, Devin Phillips and Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, like, you should be able to have enough at the D-tackle spot to kind of rotate in. And I'm excited, uh, specifically at the D-tackle spot. Like, I think with Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, both guys had a lot of ups and downs this season. Their first year starting, they were just, you know, redshirt sophomores this year, so you expect that to be the case. We heard so much about them last year in bowl practices getting better. Maybe that happens again, and maybe they start looking like the redshirt junior versions of themselves in this game, and and they get more opportunity without Gage Key, so maybe it can turn it into actually a positive there. Um, I am curious one thing uh, that goes back into all this, with the idea of that it feels fitting to me that they win this game. How does this game affect your view of it being a successful season or not?
3: That's a tough question because I think most KU fans sitting here right now like we are probably feeling optimistic about the bowl game, would say, "Well, it's a, the, the season's a success already, and then you know the bowl game will just be kind of the bow on top, the cap on top." But if we're sitting here on Wednesday, the twenty seventh, after KU loses in the bowl game, it's gonna feel pretty deflating. It's gonna feel, uh, you know, pretty. You're gonna be pretty dejected. I think. Yeah, like I would, say, I would say this.
0: No matter what happens in the bowl game. You would get a passing grade on the season, right? Yeah, I mean, I you think want no a matter games. what, your floor is probably you got a B or higher on the season, right? Maybe yeah, even I mean, a B you want plus a or higher, right? Yeah. You won eight games, you beat Oklahoma. Um, obviously, you, you wish you would have won even more, and, and there were some close games, and you wish you would have beat K State, and like some of these things that happened, and you wish that Jalen Daniels would have stayed healthy. So, all those maybe keep it from being like an A plus or something like that. But I, I think because you are so heavily favored?
3: Yeah, it it feels like you need to win. It feels like you need to win.
0: <laughs> like if you were playing, let's say you were playing I
3: mean, I like I mean, let's just call it like it is. If you're playing Arkansas again, sure. it would feel totally different. Exactly. If you were totally playing different. Notre Dame,
0: if you were playing a top
3: 25 team. It would just be like I hope they win. Against NC State.
0: If they don't, it's a cool Yeah, exactly. If you're playing Pop-Tarts Bowl against NC State, top 25 team, uh, you would say it'd be great if we won, but you know, I, it, this is more about the reward of being here. Because you're playing UNLV, because you're double digit favorites it's kind of like, okay, end the bowl drought now or, or the the winning bowl drought now. Yeah. So for that standpoint, yeah. I don't think it it doesn't at all change the fact that this has already been a successful season and the bowl won't change that. But maybe it changed it from being an, an A to a B plus, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit it right on the head with that discussion of you feel like, again, sitting here today, you would call the season a success, hands down, easily. The day after a loss against UNLV, you might feel a little differently. But overall, I still think that you know maybe after some time after the loss, you would come around to okay, yeah, sure. a successful season. You won eight games. Uh, you know, you beat Oklahoma. You had some mar- you had a couple marquee wins in there. Uh, you know, you beat Illinois earlier in the season in the in the non-con. So it's still a successful season. I think it would just it, it would just it's one of those things where. You get it. You get that taste of success, and then you you start expecting it, and then when it's not there, you feel disappointed, right? Ku Ku fans in this program have now gotten a, a, their fair share of taste of of winning and success, and you want to keep that going, especially when you're expected to win. You know, I I, I mean, it's listen, it's a unique situation to be in for K football. I mean, they have not been double digit favorites in very many FBS games in the last hat in the last dozen years. You know. So uh, to to be to be the team to beat, KU's got to handle that. And listen, weird weird stuff happens in bowl games. I mean, it's bowl season, man. Weird weird stuff happens. I mean, we just watched yesterday yeah. Western Kentucky and Old Dominion, twenty eight nothing. It was twenty eight nothing. Western Kentucky goes to their third string quarterback and they win the game. So weird, you know, anything can happen. I mean, weird stuff can happen. It's bowl season. But uh, yeah, I think a resounding success if you win the bowl game for sure. Especially if you win it comfortably. If you lose it. It, it'll be disappointing for sure, but it's still a successful season based off of what how things played out and the fact that you had to play most of the season with your backup and even some games with the third string. Still still a really great season. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, I'll put it this way. Last season, you lose to Arkansas in the bowl game, but it didn't feel like you had lost that sort of program momentum after the loss to Arkansas going into the offseason. Right? It felt like you still had that momentum of the program going forward. You lose the UNLV this season. Maybe you lose a little bit of that momentum in the offseason. bump. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you lose a little bit of that momentum. Not, I'm not saying it, it, it goes away completely no. or anything like that, but maybe you do. Maybe the maybe the train does creep to a stop for a little bit <laughs> before it gets back going. All right.
0: He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate's gonna join us in about 10-15 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and that time on a Tuesday we're joined by Matt Tate of r1s1sports.com. So, KU basketball beats Indiana. They are now 10 and 1 and they have a ton of marquee wins. I think there's been kind of this interesting Discourse uh, from a national college basketball perspective, obviously these are good problems to have for kU but you look at some of the metric sites and maybe kU 's ranked a little bit closer to tenth to twelfth in the country obviously in the AP poll they 're second in the country right now because of all those marquee wins. How would you kind of compare what has happened here in this k u basketball non conda maybe where you thought they 'd be in the preseason at this point and like where where do you think this team is in the hierarchy of teams across the country?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a million-dollar question, man, and it's really hard to, to to put your finger on it because I don't know that they can do much better than they've done, but I think they could be more convincing in doing it, if that makes sense. You know, like, I was just looking up in this, in this six-game winning streak that they're on since losing to Marquette. I think the average margin of victory in those games is eight. Point eight points or something, which I mean, that's not two, you know, that's not, that's not, you're winning every game on a last second buzzer beater, right? Like you beat somebody by nine, you beat them. And that's a pretty good win. But at the same time, based on the standard of Kansas basketball, based on the standard of preseason, number one, is, is that all that impressive? You know, probably not. Um, but, you know, you, you guys probably talked about it and you saw what Jay Wright said. And I think he freaking nailed it, man. I mean, don't worry about how many they're winning by. they're winning, and I, I think that that's really what what it all comes down to with this team. I think you can nitpick them. you can, you can throw metrics and analytics and and explain why they're not one, two, three, four, whatever, you know however high up you want to go. Um, but what they are is a team that knows how to win, and they also are a team that has you know top five talent nationally at at least three of the spots I think um, and and that's pretty good that's that's kind of what you want to go to battle with so I, I don't think that this non-conference has changed my opinion on their their potential or ceiling or long-range outlook um, if anything it, it's it's shown me that you know hunter Dickinson gets it right like you knew you knew that Dewan and KJ would have it and you figured that that even though McCullough was only here last year and they went out in the second round, they did still win the big 12 and in a really good year for the big 12 and McCullough played with some guys who have been around and understood it. And so you, you expected that he would get it too, even in a, a different role. So to see that Hunter Dickinson's all about it too, the same concept of, I don't really care what my numbers are. I don't really care what it looks like. I just care. Did we win or did we not win? And you know, that's him to a T and that's all four of those guys. And and so they're, they're So often we, we talk with Coach Self, and we write about it, and, and we discuss it. Um, what's this team's identity? I think they've figured it out, and, and I, I think they know their identity, and that's that they're a team full of grinders that can find a way to win. Um, whatever that means, however that looks, they find a way. And um, there are worse identities to have than that. And, and, and teams, Kansas teams even, have gone way deeper into the season without – a clear picture of who they are. Um, this group can get better. There's a lot of ways they can improve, and there are a lot of things and players that, that could take steps to make them even more dangerous. But what they are right now is a team that wins. And I think because of that, you have to consider them one of the best teams in the country, one of the teams on that small list of, of title, true title contenders, and, and uh, still probably the team to beat in the Big 12. So you know, not 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 necessarily a, a bad off season or, no. or preseason, um, non conference, I guess I should say. You know, that's that's certainly that's certainly not a bad place to be when you're when you're closing in on the start of conference play.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you, Do you think at this point in time? I, I was curious about this. Who would you be taking seven game series? This team, last year's team. Who do you think is better? Do you think it's about even? Uh, I guess uh, open floor.
2: I love that question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I would take last year's team. That's my gut reaction. If I if I sat down and thought more about it, it might change. Um the real difference being this one has Hunter and that one had three point shooting that you could count on. Um, so which is better, right? Um and frankly, like last year the the bench was a problem all year, right? Like Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yusefu, um, MJ Rice, uh others that I'm probably forgetting now that I shouldn't be, um, you know, they, they weren't the most incredible bench ever, but if a couple of those guys were still around, they'd be playing. And that's not to say they should still be around. I don't think that's the case at all, but I think that if if you think that it, it's Hunter on this team and three point shooting on last year's team. And so you got to go down another step to say, well, what is it, what does it look like? What? Where are some other ways that these two could separate themselves from each other? the bench play would be one. And, and, you know, like Joe Giuseppe was a guy that could start and had times where he would give him 20 points. Now, not consistently. And, and he had his own shortcomings and issues of course, but uh, he played a lot of college basketball too. And this bench is just so young, so inexperienced and so um, difficult to count on that. I think that the bench would be an edge for last year's team too, but man, that, you know, you've you've got you've got a few starters that obviously overlap so what does that mean you're looking at you're looking at j will is it just j will versus hunter right yeah pretty much because because um kj DeWan, kevin and oh grady j J. will and grady of course Uh, so j will and grady versus versus hunter and el marco um you know, positions are are different, and you have to factor that all in. But I, I would take I would take Jaywell and Grady over those two, just you know, in in a sense of what they give you out there, uh, which isn't easy. I mean, I think it'd be a hell of a game. Uh, have you have you weighed in on that? Do you have do you have a feeling either way? It's 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 a tough one to do when there's so many similarities in the starting lineup.
0: Yeah, I I just don't really know to be honest. Um, it's I, I I'd be curious to see how Kevin McCuller defends Jalen Wilson. Um, and yeah. then how does Kevin McCuller defend Kevin McCuller on the other side of the foot? You know what I mean? Like, right, right, <laughs> those are two right. kind of big questions. Um, I think that when it's all said and done, uh, maybe this is easier to say because we know last year's team lost in the second round of the tournament, so it's like the bar feels like it is achievable, I guess, if you view it from that lens, that I feel like the ceiling is higher for this year's team. But it's, it's also hard because... With what you saw at the end with last year's team, um I don't know, like w- when you see a team at the end of the season, they just look better than they do you know now in December, so uh, even if it didn't end the way you wanted to, they still things just look better, so I don't know i I think I might go this year's team uh slight lean just because of i I do think there's something to be said about Hunter Dickinson being able to just dominate inside and get you easy buckets. And I think even though I trust the three-point shooting of last year's team more, it's not like that was just a uh, pure strength for them either. Like I mean, there were there were times where th- where they went through some issues, and you know, Grady sure, Dick sure. Uh, was taken out of games right because he was a freshman and couldn't figure out ways to to impact the game in another way. So I I don't know. I think I'd lean this one, but I think it's close. I think it's a six or seven game series either way.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know what you're talking about too is just that 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 concept of of what we kind of talked about with this year's team is they're just winners. Right. And, and that was Jalen Wilson to a, to a, to a T to, you know, the, the grand definition of it. Nobody won and competed harder than him. Um, and so for me, that, that just stands out in my head. Um, but you're right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And, um, the Grady. So, so the Grady El Marco matchup would be fun, right? Because it's, it's, it's two freshmen, um, and different strengths, different weaknesses, all of that. Um, the dewan dejuan matchup is not not really fun to talk about. If for some reason DeWan decided to score on one of the two teams, then that would probably give them an edge. Um, but he would also have to score against himself. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I know at this point last year, I think that my thought about how good that team could be was probably not quite as high as what I, I think this that. team could be. Yeah. And, and, and yet by the time March rolled around with last year's team and they were a one seed and all that, um, I kind of thought they were going to make a run last year. I kind of, I kind of thought they were final four bound, um, because they kind of figured out who they were and, and, and they just had that, that, that grind mentality that Jalen brought and others, of course. And so, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. We can, we can revisit this very question, you know, at the end of January or end of February and see if it's still the same answer because obviously things do change. And, and by that point, you know, if, if El Marco or Furphy or, or Jamari or somebody like that really emerges, I had a comment on, on one of our stories the other day from a reader, um, that, that basically I thought was really cool. It was, I mean, it was, it was basically, you know, Hey gosh, if one of those guys could, could, um, could, could break out, right, then the, then the outlook for this whole team changes. And while that's not big news and that's not something that, that everybody hasn't already thought about, what I thought was really interesting was he put the emphasis, this commenter, put the emphasis on one of these guys. And I think that's dead right. I think that only one of those guys has to find it. If, if El Marco becomes a true starter at Kansas and really finds his rhythm and, and can give you 12 a night and eight, play great defense, that's pretty big. That, that adds a lot. If, if he can't and he becomes a bench player and Furby turns a, into a starter and blows up and is knocking down threes and using it as athleticism and transition and all these things, right, on the, on the glass, like that's significant. And, and then El Marco has a whole different role. And so I, I just thought it was really cool that this guy pointed out, you know, like it, it, it doesn't take all three of them to come along at the same rate and they don't all have to get really good. Just one of those guys has to. And then, of course, after that, they have to stay healthy everywhere else. But I think health is kind of a given. Everybody has to stay healthy to, to achieve their their feeling and what they want to be at, at the highest level. So it, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch as they get into Big 12 play. Because I do, you said it, they've got marquee wins already. They've been tough. They've, they've found a way to win some really good games. But the Big 12 grind is a whole different thing, and, and uh, we'll see how ready they are for it.
0: Well, when, when you look at the Nick Timberlake, Jamari McDowell kind of interesting part of it, because I think when it's all said and done, like no matter what, there's going to be playing time for a Marco Jackson, Johnny Furphy. Parker Brown has his specific role. He's the backup to, to Hunter Dickinson. I, I think the one thing about the rotation come the end of the year is it'll be one of Timberlake or McDowell. Right now, you're still seeing games where maybe both play a handful of minutes. It it certainly seems like Nick Timberlake is is still higher up in the rotation, or at least has been up until Saturday. Just in terms of Timberlake's always the guy who comes off the bench before Jamar McDowell, and for the most part, Timberlake's played more minutes per game. Now there have been few games like the Tennessee game where you know maybe McDowell played more. He obviously plays a lot more at the end there in the uh, Indiana game, and I've understood it because I I think uh, as much as Timberlake has been kind of a lightning rod early in the season for fans, and he has struggled. I think Bill Self is playing a bit of the long game to say, hey, if we can get this kid right, if we can get this kid shooting 40 percent from three, having him on the court with Hunter Dickinson becomes a huge problem for the opposing defense. And and how do they guard that? Um, But it's not coming together. And and there were some comments from Bill Self about Jamari McDowell and and some of the things he did well. I've been so impressed with Jamari McDowell's just, I guess, fearlessness, like he doesn't seem to be shy uh, as a freshman, which isn't always the case. Do you think the Indiana game, like do you think that finally changes things where maybe we do start seeing Jamari McDowell ahead of Nick Timberlake as one of the first players off the bench?
2: I don't think so quite yet. I, I in fact I think the until until something changes with either of them to where it's, you know, okay, now I have to play him more or boy yeah, he's really he's really on. He's found it. There we go. Um until that happens, clearly and, and definitively I I really think that you're looking at the 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 recipe the 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 plan that Self's going to follow here is he's going to play Timberlake four five six minutes in the first half because he's going to see okay does he have it yet not take a couple shots show me what you got see if you can slide your feet on defense and and maybe it's there and if it is then he'll play some minutes in the second half too if it isn't he's done for the day and to me there's nothing wrong with that like to me now it, there may be something wrong for the, with that if you're nick timberlake because you're 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 getting a very limited opportunity to um show where you're at and and also what does that do to your confidence you know so so i think that's an issue for sure for him personally but i think when you're looking at the bigger picture of this team I I don't know that self can do it any different. And I think because of what you just said, where if he ever does dial it in or, or he, you know, maybe he's got a game coming up where he hits five or six from three point range. Like the only way self can know that is by putting him out there early and let's see what you got tonight. And if he hits two, he's going to play more in that game, you know, and he's going to get a chance to hit two more. And, and, and so I think it's, it's just sort of that, like, you know, you, you have to take the certain steps when you're making a recipe, right? You have to, You have to put this in before you put this in because it doesn't work if you don't something, you know, if you put the yeast in before you put the, I don't know, I'm not going to go there, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, like it, 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 it takes you following certain steps to get to the end result. And I think that one of the steps to find out if, if Timberlake's there or not there that particular day is put him out there first, give him a chance. Let's see what he's got. And, and then you decide off of that and, you know, uh, that's exactly what happened at indiana i think it's exactly what happened the game before that i mean i think that and it was very clear um he didn't have it at indiana it just you don't even have to think beyond that i mean it, it was and, and i noted this on twitter and i wrote it in my in my game recap uh, like to me nick nick timberlake right now looks like a guy who is content taking the shot like he knows that he's here to shoot And he knows that if he doesn't shoot, he's not going to play at all. So he's out there and he's like, Hey guys, okay. When you swing me the ball and I step into a shot, I'm going to shoot it high five, you know, and and I'm not dogging the kid. I just think that he looks much more like a guy who's trying to just take the right shots rather than out there trying to make shots or believing he's going to make shots. And, and you know, that's a problem for a shooter. That's a real big problem for a shooter because confidence is such an important part of, of being that kind of dead eye shooter like that. So, Um, until he gets back to that point where, you know, this is about knocking them down and knowing they're going in when you release, it just looks to me like he's rushing them and he's just throwing them up to the rim so he can tell everybody, yeah, well I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. They're just not going in. Well, ultimately you're not here to just shoot. You're here to make the shot. And so if they don't go in, you're not going to play. And that's, that's hardcore and that sucks for him if that's how it keeps going. But, but that's, that's the reality of it. But I do think that the leash on that is probably pretty long because, um, you know, because basically you can take that, you can take that gamble in the first half and, and not have it affect what what Jamari McDowell can still give you in the second, right? Like Jamari McDowell is not a knockdown three point shooter either. So, if Nick gets his chance, he gets his chance, and if it happens, it happens, and you, you figure it out from there. If it doesn't, then it makes the second half of the game even easier because then when you need to go to that spot in your bench, it's not Nick. It's it's McDowell. And so um, w- would it be better for either of them to get 15, 20 minutes a game? Probably so. They would probably develop a lot quicker and, and make a bigger impact. But would that, would that be better for this team as a whole? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think this team needs that. You know, I think they've got their core four, and everybody else just has to fill in around that. And in this case, and at this point in time, that's what that looks like. You give Timberlake a shot in the first half, and if it doesn't work, it's very easy to sit him in the second, and you play, and you play McDowell those minutes, and, and he gives you what he gives you. And um, you, you don't really look back.
0: He's Matt Tate. You can check out his work, r1s1sports.com. Matt, uh, anything you want to plug going on on the website right now?
2: We are, yeah, we are doing a holiday sale. I might have referenced it last week, but um, I think maybe for the rest of the month, a little holiday cheer, 12 bucks for the year. Um, so a dollar a month, it's like $0.03 cents a day. It's, if you're at all interested and in, in, you, know, you want to check out what we've been doing, the, the premium content that's there, um, you're not going to beat it, 12 bucks um, covers you for a whole full year. And, uh, you know, you could, you could pick one up for yourself. I think we did talk about this. You you talked about how this would be a great gift under the Christmas tree. So, um, check it out. It's easy to subscribe. It's, it's, I, I promise you it'll be worth it. You'll, you'll enjoy everything. Uh, the main story that's up there right now is a really long feature that I did on KU football linebacker, Jason Gilliam. Um, you know, do it for a month and see if you like it. Look at that story that's the kind of stuff we want to give you it's it's uh it took me a while to get to that and and I, i spent a little bit of time working on it but it talks about gilliam's path man he broke his leg last spring um came back this year played all 12 games uh he seems to be better than ever he's he's been through a lot he changed positions in the middle of recovering from that injury i mean terrific terrific kid um one of the coolest things about that too is i finished the story up finally last week pretty much Spent three consecutive days devoted to to getting it done, um, and then I was at Burgers by Biggs with my family eating dinner, and Jason walked in behind us and uh, and was picking up an order himself. And I was just so jacked to see him because I had just spent three days rewriting, editing, listening to more you know of my interview with him and, and others in there that I was just like it was like I felt like I hung out with him the three days before that, and so there he was in real life. Right. And I was so pumped to see him. And, and, and he was pretty cool too. He was fired up because, you know, he knows he did the interview. So he was happy to hear that I was closing in on finishing it up. And it just, it just made me, it really hit home with me that these guys are, they want to tell their story too, you know, and they don't all get to. And, and I'm very happy that we have a place where, where we can tell a handful of them. We, we, we try to get to as many as we can. And, and his is a great story. Um, I texted his parents afterwards that I saw him, and, and his mom wrote me back and said, yeah, he just texted us that he saw you too. So, like, they want their story out there, and, and they're proud of their stories, and he should be. I mean, that's a, it's a remarkable thing that he did coming back from what was a pretty pretty horrific injury. So, um, yeah, check that out and everything else like it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff.
0: He is Matt Tate again, r1s1sports.com. Check that out. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man.
2: Thanks, Derek. Have a good
0: week, man. Happy holidays. That was Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to uh, Matt for coming on the show. One hour down, two to go. We've got uh, some more KU basketball talk coming up later in the show. We uh, also are going to get to our NFL Week 15 recap and plenty more coming up next with KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show in about 35 minutes from right now here with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, we got to get to our NFL Week 15 recap, though, with uh, Week 15 in the books. Eagles losing to the Seahawks on Monday Night Football last night. Here's where we're going to start, as always. Biggest
3: up, surprise Eagles? of the week for you. Hmm, biggest surprise. Well, I mean, the week started with a big surprise on Thursday with uh, what happened there uh let's see there were some some surprises on even on Saturday and Sunday I mean you know listen, Saturday Sunday NFL football a lot of days was football. uh was, was was crazy uh yeah it's hard to not go with the Raiders maybe but just to be different I'll say Panthers beating the Falcons pretty big surprise I don't know if you saw any of that game but they were <laughs> playing in a hurricane I mean they were playing literally in the uh, there were in like a five fans there. There was like tickets were being sold like for legitimately like under a dollar. There was like two fans. There was like negative eight fans. There was nobody there. They're playing in a hurricane. Nine to seven. Nine to seven. Uh, disgusting Just disgusting game. Ugly, ugly, disgusting game. If you frame it as but the you worst team in the NFL, lose.
0: beat a division leader, makes it sound so much more
3: impressive. Yes, but it's not. Well, they're not a division leader anymore, are they? Aren't t- no, aren't not the anymore. No, at the time they were tied for first, though. Okay. But uh, well, wait a second. I,
0: who is it the Saints or the Bucks? It's the Saints and the Bucks now at this point. I don't know who has okay. the tiebreaker. I'm sure it'll get determined over the next 3 weeks. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean the Raiders dropping 63 points like the, the nature of how that game went about. That was yeah. a big surprise. Yeah. The the nature of the Buffalo Bills win, I think too. Like Josh Allen didn't have to play the final 10 minutes. Yeah. And specifically if you narrow into that game, I mean, the Bills' defensive performance because the Bills' defense has been kind of meh, kind of average this year. But over the last couple weeks, they're playing well, and they smashed the Cowboys, who had been a really good offense. Um, and then the last one I have here was Seattle's game-winning drive. I yeah. did not think that Drew Locke could lead a 90-whatever You didn't whatever think he had was, that dog in him? 92-yard drive. No, I did not. Wow. Uh, down by four against the Eagles in a Monday Night Football game. So, Got that
3: dog in him. What was your uh, biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment might be the Cowboys. Mm. I mean, dude, seriously. Build up as this big-time game, the legacy of the Super Bowl matchups, blah, 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 and then for them to just go out Macked. and get absolutely whipped from start to finish. 60 minutes. In a game that Josh didn't
0: even have 100 passing yards.
3: Just just uh, really, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big disappointment. Also, I'm going to throw the Jaguars in there for this one. You watch that game, the Jaguars played the Ravens on 10 of football. The Jaguars gave away, like, almost 20 points. It felt like they it felt like they were the better team, and they still sucked in the first half. And then they just completely faded in the second half and didn't put up a fight. That was disappointing to see. I'm going to go with the flip side of,
0: of your biggest surprise, which is the Falcons.
3: You're in a situation yeah,
0: where, coming into that game, you're tied first in the division, and theoretically, you have the easiest game. You're playing the Carolina Panthers, the worst team in the NFL. Yes. Who are trying to lose games? And they're, they well, are maybe by, not because they don't have their first. They're by start. far
3: the worst team in the NFL. Like it's, I don't even think it's that yeah. close. I mean, there's and a significant gap. Even between. after winning
0: this game, I mean, we're going to get to our bottom three. They're probably still going to be the worst there. So you, you go into this game, and for you, this is kind of a must win game. And you only put up 204
3: total yards of offense. I don't know if you saw the Desmond Renner it was interception. The, one of it was the worst interception so I've bad. ever seen in my entire life. So bad. He like makes it. He, he he's on the run makes a good play to break a tackle, and you're thinking, okay, sweet, maybe he can set his feet and, you know, make something happen. He sets his feet and throws it, I mean, directly, directly to the wrong team. Throw it straight to him. I mean, it was absolutely mind-boggling. It was literally like yeah. he thought that that guy it was, was really on bad. his team. It was in the red zone,
0: too, so like, yeah, got out of field goal, won the game. He had yeah. a 15.5 QBR. And then on top of that, you have the Arthur
3: Smith discourse, which – um. Hey, but he's going to die trying to fix that. Did you see that quote today? No, I did he, not. Arthur Smith said we're we're going to die trying to get this thing right. Oh gosh. Well then he's going to actually
0: die. <laughs> B. John Robinson, who you used a top 10 pick on, who is one of the five most talented running backs in the NFL. Probably, yeah. He had 7
3: carries. Yeah. It's 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 tough. What to are see. you doing? It's tough to see, especially in a game where you're playing in a hurricane. Yeah. Run HB dive. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard.
0: Yeah, that's bad. That's my biggest disappointment for sure. The Falcons.
3: Yeah. Uh, what is your best ho hum win? Mm, uh, best ho hum win, I think the Niners maybe with the win over the Cardinals. I mean, if you look at the score. The Cardinals ended up putting up 29 points on them mm-hmm. on that on that Niners defense, but the Niners offense was unstoppable. It was the game was never in doubt. Um, I'll also throw the Colts in there with their win over the Steelers. That's a good one. Just uh, you know, they just. They, they were down 13 nothing and then they just schmacked them the rest of the way, and there was just kind of a good job, Colts. Can the Ravens be a ho-hum win? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the thing with ho-hum wins is I have a hard time picking primetime games to be ho-hum yeah. wins because that means that a lot of people probably watched Yeah, it's it kind regardless. of a win that people
0: just kind of slept on. It was like, okay, then it ended up. But, yeah, so maybe you're right. I'll go with the Buccaneers then. They went yeah. into Green Bay. They won 34-20. to Uh, Packers continue to kind of fall since the Chiefs win. Baker Mayfield went off. We'll get to him a little bit later. Chris Godwin had 10 catches for 155. I don't
3: know if you noticed, but uh, teams that beat the Chiefs, they have a bit of a Chiefs hangover afterwards. Except for the Bills. It seems like. Except for the Bills. Except for the Broncos
0: got hot for a little after they beat the Chiefs.
3: Yeah. But the Packers and the Eagles Mm -hmm. both did. I don't even know. What what did the Lions do after they beat the Chiefs? I don't even remember.
0: Probably won a bunch of games. They, they, yeah, I mean, the 10-4. That, yeah. So,
3: I don't know. Just something to keep, just something to, you know, when teams make the Chiefs their biggest game of the year and they win, besides the Bills, they've uh they've struggled. But, yeah, the Bucks, uh that was a nice win for them. Uh, Baker Mayfield had a perfect
0: passer rating. I think I saw he was the first quarterback to do that on the road at Lambeau Field. Um they did a pretty good job on Jordan Love, uh, and especially it's more ho-hum because you were tied first in the division. Now you still are with uh, the the New Orleans Saints at both 7-7, seven and seven. and they've won three straight games now. They've so, kind of listen, ho-hum won three straight games.
3: We've been crapping on the NFC South the whole season. It feels like whoever wins the NFC South is going to win in the first round of the playoffs.
0: But they're going to be hosting like Dallas.
3: I think they're going to win.
0: You think they're gonna beat the
3: Cowboys? I think whoever the wins Eagles? the NFC South is going to win a. I can a get more game. on board with it if it's the
0: Eagles. If it's the Cowboys, I I just can't see it. But maybe I part of the problem too. The NFC South they're playing either in like the Saints are in a dome. Yep. Falcons are in a dome. Bucks um, Bucks are in, in warm hand, weather. Buddy. When I think of Dallas having trouble on the road, I think of it's got to be cold weather. Yeah. Like the Bills I mean, they, game, I mean, there was rain. It was yeah. cold.
3: Yeah. No, the Cowboys they did not look like they wanted to play. No. In that
0: game. There's certain teams, like the Cowboys, the Dolphins, where I'm like, if you have to play a road game in cold weather in the playoffs, I'm picking against you. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. No. Uh, what is your week two offensive and defensive MVP?
3: Dude, you always say week two. It's week 15. I'm sorry, week 15. It's because every time we do this on our spreadsheet, you never update the week. <laughs> and you haven't updated it for 13 weeks, well, that would have been a fun tradition. We should have just kept that going. <laughs> uh, on offense, I'm going to go with Jared Goff. Five touchdown passes against the Broncos on Saturday uh, helped lead them to a big win. The the Lions uh, to get ten and four because I remember I picked them as my fraud. You did, and then they are they off the fraud list? I mean, they have to be. Okay, they just beat the Broncos by (laughs) by twenty five points. They got to be off the fraud list, Mm -hmm. I would think. No, see the you you want to be on the fraud list because that means you're guaranteed to win the next week because I'm the anti. Who did you pick yesterday? I picked. I think I picked the Jaguars. Okay.
0: Is
3: that right? Does that sound right? That sounds right.
0: Uh I'm gonna go with for offensive MVP Baker Mayfield. I mentioned that he mm-hmm. had a perfect passer rating on the road at Lambeau Field. He he just lit it up, man. He had three hundred and eighty one passing yards, four touchdowns, no picks. He's uh quietly turned in like a, a
3: solid, very decent but season. A good season. Yeah. But that but let me ask you this. Isn't that kind of what he was doing with Cleveland too? Yeah, it kinda was. He was just solid but like you, there was no argument for him to be like a top 12 probably. quarterback but solid so I, I don't think he
0: probably thing. gets enough credit for like think about it, the year it's they played the, the Chiefs in the divisional round yeah the Browns is an organization were horrible the fact that he even had them winning a playoff game and getting to the division round a game that <clears> yes it took Patrick Holmes getting hurt but nearly beating the Chiefs in the division round like I think he probably deserves some some more credit than he probably gets for that yeah I would I would almost tend to agree yeah, yeah. and now maybe he'll lead the Bucs to the playoffs uh, yeah, defensive MVP. Be. About former Kansas City Chief Tano Passigno? he's with the New Orleans Saints now. He had six tackles, three sacks for the Saints against the Giants, held them to six points. Uh, even at one point, he did a uh, sack and he did the uh, like the Italian hand gesture. Yeah, celebration yeah. to Devito. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if see, that's...
3: I I was that's when I was talking about Nick Sirianni earlier. I wanted to tread lightly because I didn't know if the Italians would come after us. If, if they would. Now, is that, is that
0: okay? Is <laughs> what okay? Tono Passigno doing that? Like, is that racist? Well, that's what I'm saying.
3: That's what I'm saying. Like, is it is it anti-Italian-American yeah. discrimination? I don't know. And, I, and listen. They had a good game, though.
0: I do not want the Italian mob after us. No, I, I definitely don't want that. I mean,
3: I don't think we'd last for Italian
0: anything. food? Yes. <clears throat> Italian mob? No, thank you.
3: I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I don't, I'd probably get whacked pretty quick. No, oh, me too. Think. I mean, I feel like I'm an easy target. I'm a creature of mm. habit. I go to a lot of the same places a lot of the times. I do all the same stuff. It'd be very easy to track me down and whack me somewhere. I don't want that to happen, though. Who is your defensive MVP <laughs> for week two? Uh, man, you, you mentioned the Bills' defense. I mean, I kind of just wanted to go with the Bills' defense in totality, right? I mean, the, the Cowboys had less than 100 yards of offense in the fourth quarter of that game. Dak was terrible. His MVP candidacy, <laughs> Dead. Uh, so, Bill's defense, man. Especially the fact that they've dealt with some injuries, and to turn into performance like that, they're my okay. piece. I think they're good. Oh, my defense, mm. oh, no, I already said mine.
0: Uh, yeah, Tano Passanio. Yep. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Old friend alert, by the way. And, uh, hey, listen, the thing with Tano Passanio is, you know, he was a high draft pick, I believe out of Villanova? Yes. And, uh, I think. yeah, he kind of underwhelmed, but I'm glad to see him uh, having success. Mm-hmm. Having success. So, cool story there. Uh oh, I think they're good. I think Matt Stafford is, is back. Ooh. I think he's back. He's, he's good cooking. Now. I think he's actually cooking. I don't know if he's I don't I mean I mean, you know, there's some guys that all are, the different arm angles.
0: There's some guys brothers. that are low key
3: cooking. No, he's high key. I think cooking. he's just cooking. Yeah, Rams. I mean, if,
0: if if you get rid of the games that he was out with the injury, Rams are probably what, like seven and five, something like that? Like they're a good team. Yeah. Um that I would not want to play in in a wild card round if I was on the NFC side of things. I thought yes. you were gonna pick Clyde Edwards Alaire. I thought that would be Clyde
3: edwards alaire I well, it's too early. It's too early to, to do mm. that. He needs to have, he needs to have another good week, and then I think he can be in that conversation. Also, like Colts. I still don't know really why they're good, but they keep winning these games, so I think they're good. See, uh, I had I brought this up. to Somebody, let's say the Colts go and like win a playoff game mm-hmm. with Gardner Minshew. I mean, I'm assuming Anthony Richardson is still your guy, right? But like, what do you do for the future? Yeah, like, what do you do? Like, if Gardner Minshew goes out and wins you a playoff game for <sighs> the Colts, you can't. You can't. I think you have to. I mean, you, you can't. What do you do? You just tell Gardner Minshew go back to being a backup, I yes, guess. I think you do. I don't know. I mean, he has. No, I get it. Like, I, I there's not an. E- I don't think there's an easy answer. I, I mean, I, maybe there is. I don't know.
0: He's a. He's 14 touchdowns to eight picks. It's not like he's, you know. No,
3: I know. But I mean, if you go out and you win a playoff game,
0: mm. Tim Tebow won a playoff game. <laughs> What's your? I think they suck.
3: <sighs> well, I know Kadarius Tony sucks, and I think the Jaguars suck. Maybe. Well, I don't know. I think they suck, though. Okay. I mean, they could miss the playoffs. They they could go from eight and three to missing the playoffs. Truly. All right, I'm going to do it. I think they suck. I think the Eagles suck.
0: <laughs> They're going to lose in the first round of playoffs. That's where I'm at. Yeah, it's 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 weird. The vibes are not good there. Now, they, they should win all three of their games to finish the season. Giants, Cardinals, Giants. But I think they'll lose one of them.
3: Maybe go if 12 they lose and five. one of them, that's bad.
0: Yeah, I know. They go 12-5. and five. Maybe they get, like, the two
3: seed. Play the Rams in the first round. Lose. Well, if they don't win the East, I think that would be the real... Yeah. If they don't win the East. For sure. Uh, what is your top three, but, bottom three? Uh, Top three is San Francisco. I agree there. San Francisco and San Francisco. Oh. Followed by Buffalo. Okay. I have Buffalo three. And uh, uh Baltimore will be number three. For okay. Me. I have Baltimore two. What is your bottom three? This one was tough. I'm going Cardinals, Jets, Panthers. I'm going Patriots 30
0: Chargers without Justin Herbert, 31. Panthers, 32.
3: Mm. You know, even though there are a lot of teams that stink, a lot of them somehow still have, like, five wins.
0: A lot of stink out there.
3: Like, the Jets suck. Like Tom Brady said, a lot of bad football. The Bears suck. They have five wins. The Cardinals suck. They have three wins. But a lot of these teams still have have managed to get wins. I don't even know how. It's hard to win in the NFL. seems like at a, a at a...
0: Uh, hi maybe it is i don't know all right he's nick springer i'm Derek johnson kevin flaherty will join us in about 20 minutes you're listening to rcst on klwn Depend on it you're listening to rock chalk sports talk this is klwn and we're joined now by kevin flaherty of 24 7 sports you're definitely going to want to check out kevin's work and give him a follow on uh, twitter at kflaherty 247 his signing day is tomorrow and uh Kevin, obviously, we, we get local prospects with Kevin. He knows his stuff, and that's why we bring him on here. Uh, so I want to start there with signing day tomorrow. For you, when you think of, like, a theme or the, I don't know, overall biggest takeaway that you have about what this class is, what this class means for the KU football pro- pro- program, assuming all these guys sign on the dotted line, which I think seems to be the expectation tomorrow, uh, w- what sticks out to you about the class of 2024 for KU football?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things is it's the highest ranked class that Kansas has had in the 24 seven sports era in terms of the number of overall points, you know, that, that Kansas has gotten. And and when you, you think about that, it, it might not seem like a whole lot, but it's a class that only includes 16 guys. And so there are some classes in there that had, you know, the, the full complement of players. And so that, that's a big part of it. I mean, it, it's pretty easy to say that, hey, this is the best class Kansas has had in a really long time. Deshaun Warner, uh, when he signs tomorrow, I know he said that, that he's going to sign uh, tomorrow afternoon into evening. Uh, when he signs, he will be the highest ranked high school signee that Kansas has signed in the recruiting database era, which goes back pretty much to, to 2000 or so, and so when you you think about that, the number of guys that Kansas has gotten, the way that they've evaluated these guys, and the other part, Derek, is I think that a lot of it is, I don't want to say repeatable necessarily, but it's also something that Kansas can feasibly build on, because I think that a lot of the reason that this class came together the way that it did was the staff's ability to build and maintain relationships. And when you look at a lot of the guys that they had come in through the summer that committed and things like that, guys that they got on campus that Kansas really, really wanted, uh, they had an extremely high hit rate on in this class. And so... When you look at the next steps that you want to take as a program and continuing to upgrade the talent level and all of those things, I think this class certainly does that. It includes a really good quarterback for the future. But even beyond that, I think the major takeaway is this is a terrific defensive class that is going to give Kansas some really nice young defensive talent to develop and you know get out on the field over the next few years.
0: Well, uh, there was a tweet from Dacius Brinkley who, uh, you know, right now Warner's the number one recruit in the the class and, and Brinkley's number two. Both those guys are edge players. He said, uh, me and DeSean Warner will be the best duo that KU football has yet to be seen, mark my words. Um, I, I guess care to comment, will that be the best duo that KU has ever seen? Certainly potential-wise, I'd imagine it's got to be up there, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it certainly does. I, when, when I saw the tweet, the first thing I thought was, man, that – That 2004, you know, trio, if you will, was, was awfully good. uh, Where you had David McMillan and Jermyle Ashley as your two starters, you know, McMillan was an all big 12 guy. Ashley uh, wound up being a second team, all big 12 guy, I think the following year. And just behind uh, David McMillan, Uh, on that group was charlton keith and so you you had you know quite a bit of edge rushing there you know ashley was more of a a strong side defensive end but you know took up a lot of blockers and was a guy that was really underrated and i think you know in 2005 that that kind of showed him that i think and this is off the top of my head so feel free to to look it up and you know blister me on air if i'm wrong about this i think he only had like 16 tackles total in in 2005 and got second team all big 12 so that tells you what you know sort of the coaches across the league thought about him and and having to account for him and then you had a 2004 first team all big 12 guy a 2005 first team all big 12 guy as the other two ends in that group and so Best duo, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. If they could find another guy to hop into that group and and approach best trio, then Kansas is really cooking with gas. Well,
0: and what what is it about Deshaun Warner that makes him such a good player? Because as you mentioned, he would be the highest high school recruit uh, or highest rated high school recruit that they have ever gotten in the 24-7 sports era. Like, why is he such a good player? What is it about him?
1: He's what everybody wants as an edge player. And when I say everybody, you know, this is a guy that had offers from Michigan, Ohio state, and Texas. Like this is a guy that teams that compete for the college football playoff. This is what they're looking for as an edge rusher. He's six foot four. He's long. He weighs probably about 225 pounds right now. He's a really good athlete. And I think where you see it the most on tape right now Is he's got sort of that thing? If you remember, Lonnie Phelps was really good at starting on the outside and then sort of cutting back across the tackle space. He had, you know, sort of the the looseness to be able to change direction and and, you know cut back inside like that. Deshaun Warner does that on tape as a high schooler, and he does it at a really exceptional and exceptionally quick level. When you look at that desert edge defense that he played on, which Kansas has gotten three commitments in this one class from that desert edge defense. There's a lot of speed and a lot of athleticism out there. And Warner was, was the best of that bunch. He was a guy that, you know, produced a, at a super high level. I think, you know, the last time I saw his stats, his stats, there were, you know, something like 20 tackles for loss, 16 or 18 sacks. So, it wasn't just the guy who flashed here or there, too. You know, he was a guy who was highly dominant with what he did. It, it's kind of funny because um, through our rankings process, you know, Warner was, was a guy who early on was was a three-star, and I was even watching his junior tape and thinking, man, we've we've got this guy too low. He he needs to continue to, to go up. I, I really like what I see. The first few games came out, our guys – had a chance to see him actually in person is my understanding. And now he heads into signing day as the number 10 edge rusher in the entire country and as a top 150 player in the entire country at number 148. And so, like I said, this is the type of guy that that just about everybody across the country would love to have, and, and tomorrow he's he's supposed to sign with Kansas.
0: Well, is there a, a player in this class maybe outside of those top tier of guys like like the Warners, the Isaiah Marshalls, the Dak Brinkley's? Is there somebody maybe in the middle or lower on, on where the rankings are that uh, you maybe are, are a big stand of or, or somebody that, that you are pretty high on relatively to where they are?
1: Uh, there are a few guys. One, um, I know he's kind of in that top group. But to me, Austin Alexander should have been a four star guy. And there's still going to be some opportunities to evaluate. These aren't our end rankings. You know, those will come out probably before the second National Signing Day. But he's a six foot one cornerback who's got a lot of looseness to him as an athlete. He's got speed. You know, my understanding on, on why, you know, he didn't wind up getting to that range, you know, last year he had the leg injury which kind of hampered him a little bit. He didn't wind up running track. There weren't the verified athletic numbers that you have for some other guys who are top cornerbacks in this class. Derek, I think he's the best cornerback prospect that Kansas has signed in a really long time. And so he's in that top group, but he's not one of the the quote-unquote four-star guys. I think he probably should be. Another guy that I I think is going to be really, really interesting – you talk to anybody in the Midwest and they have just fantastic things to say about Carson Bruin, the tight end from Iowa who's coming in and they feel like he's just a perfect hand and glove fit for, for what Kansas wants and that he's a six foot five, six foot six guy that really loves to block, loves to be physical and yet has the athleticism to be a, a major impact guy in the passing game as well. And a guy that, that I think has was impossible to rank. Really, uh, that, that I love it is Jonathan Kamara, another one of the Desert Edge guys. And the reason I say that is, flip on Jonathan Kamara's junior tape, and he's he's going to play linebacker at Kansas. Do you know what position he played as a junior? I have no he's idea. Cornerback. Wow. He was a six foot four cornerback. <laughs> oh, wow. And so if you're looking at somebody who's going to be a linebacker and he played linebacker this year. And so you could see the the vision and everything, but you want somebody with those, that athleticism, those ball skills. You know, when you look at Craig young, departing and kind of somebody that could fill that role in the future, uh, I think it's it's Kamara, you know, he's really filled out physically. He's probably six foot four, two hundred and ten, two hundred and fifteen pounds now. Uh, somebody that is is going to be a, a really good athlete at that position. And like I said, if you're if you're a good enough athlete to play cornerback at that level of high school football, and then you're going to go down and play linebacker, obviously, you're gonna be a pretty supreme athlete at that linebacker position. And, and I'll tell you this. Your one worry when somebody makes that switch is: is this guy going to be nasty enough? Is he going to be physical enough? Is he going to put his you know be willing to put his face mask in on running plays and things like that? And that is not a problem with Jonathan Kamara at Kamara at all.
0: When you look at the running back position, um, obviously you're going to have to replenish that when uh, ever Devin Neal uh, departs and. Uh, Savion Morrison, I think, next year would be in his final year. So, Red Martell and Harry Stewart. Stewart, you have two running backs coming on. Uh, I was watching some of the highlights from both. I actually started to plant my flag more in the Red Martell than Harry Stewart, but Stewart's ranked higher on the rankings. Do you have any preference or, or anything about those two running backs and, and what make maybe them unique and, and what they could bring to the fold?
1: Red Martell, to me, is James Sims um, okay. in, in terms of in terms of a guy that – Uh, maybe doesn't physically wow you in terms of the way he looks in terms of the speed and the different things there where you don't come across saying like, man, this, this guy, he's a huge back, he's fast, whatever. And then you don't block anybody, right? You miss your blocks. Somebody's in the backfield and he makes this guy miss and he just kind of picks and slides. And next thing you know, he's got five yards. And you say, how did he do that? You know, where, some guys just have that natural instinct for running a football. And it's kind of funny because I know you guys also have Michael Swain from from net on the show. And I've talked to Swain about Red Martel specifically. There's a one of his highlights that he has. He gets a run, and he, he's going kind of the sideline. And he does a full stop and kind of waits for all the traffic to clear out and then, you know, goes and, and runs for a really big gain. I can't remember if he gets a touchdown on it. But I, I remember sending Swain a message and saying, How many high school backs do you see that have, you know, the the patience to come to an absolute stop in the open field and just sort of sit there for a second? You know, the the whole top gun, like I you know, I'm gonna hit the brakes and he's gonna fly right by. And he says, You're gonna do what? You know, and so, you know, Harry Stewart, I, I really like Stewart as well. I think he's got a great size speed combination. I don't think that Stewart is the natural runner that Martell is. Martell is the type of guy that, you know, just really sees the field incredibly well has, you know, great vision balance. He has the running back things that, that almost can't be taught, Having said all that, you know Stewart is a guy that I think you know if if he's running hard and, and you get him to be a plant his foot in the ground and go type of guy, you know he could have some similar attributes to like a Daniel Hyshaw or somebody like that. And so I do think that this is a really good running back pairing. Uh, I like these guys especially when you add in Johnny Thompson from last year's class, who has some home run hitting ability, I think they're building a really nice running back group that has sort of different strengths in each guy where they can sort of pick and choose between those guys as they need. But I kind of laughed when you just said that about red Martell, because I'm a, (laughs) I'm a red Martell fan of watching the tape just because he does a lot of things that would seem counterintuitive at the moment for your average high school running back. But he uh he's he's really really good in, in terms of being able to see the field make the moves that he needs to make in, in those points in time it's like the game slows down for him
0: yeah i just when i was watching both it was just one was a little choppier and one was a little more fluid, but I didn't know if, because I know Martel, I think he was playing maybe at a bit of a lower level, so I, yeah. I didn't know what was going on there, but I think that's a good uh, kind of description of both. Now, now, when you look of, uh, and maybe I guess this depends on the roster, and you never know nowadays with the transfer portal who's going to stay, who's going to go, uh, but when you look at maybe most ready to get on the field, I don't know that the expectation... Uh, for this program is, is to get guys on the field in a freshman class right away. Uh, clearly, it's better if you don't, and you can you know let them grow in the system and everything, but is, is there a player or two in this class who you look at most and say maybe they have the best chance of getting on the field early, even if by early 2025?
1: It, it's, it's a shame that he's coming off an injury because I do think that that's where Dak Brinkley maybe stands out a little bit. You know, he's, he's somebody that's maybe a little bit more physically developed. He's going to be in for the spring, and so he's going to get the work in the weight room. He's going to get, you know, the ability to to learn the learn the defense and the system and all those different things. And when you're looking at, at somebody who could potentially come in and be, you know, sort of that third or fourth defensive end, I think Brinkley's got that in him if he's able to get healthy. I, I think you're exactly right, though, in that – This is likely to be another old roster for Kansas when you look at the guys that Kansas could feasibly return it. And so there's not a lot of runway necessarily for guys to come in and be huge right away. I do think the defensive back group is so good that even if Kobe Bryant comes back and you have, you know, he and Melo Dotson and and the guys that you have there, there's a chance that one of those guys could kind of push his way into the rotation just because they're good enough. But generally speaking, Kansas isn't going to have to rely on these guys right away. And I think that's, that's a good thing for them. It's It's a good thing for Kansas. But if you're looking on into, say, 2025 rather than 2024, You know, if he comes in and he hits the weight room the way that he should and all of those different things, it's going to be awfully hard to keep Deshaun Warner off the football field. All
0: right, Kevin, who is your local prospect of the week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Jameer Moore, actually, out of uh, Salina Central. And the reason I am is he just committed to Kansas as a preferred walk-on. And, you know, he was a guy that when you look across the state and you go out and you see guys, you know, Jameer was a kid I had a chance to see in person, I think probably four or five times between the spring of his uh, of his junior year and through his senior year. And, and when you look at preferred walk-ons, you want a guy who's got traits, right? It, you don't necessarily want the guy that, hey, this guy's a, a really good football player, but he's too small and he's too slow, because that guy's probably not going to get to the football field. You want to take the guy – Who has traits, but maybe isn't there yet that you can potentially develop into seeing the field. Well, Jameer Moore is a six foot two cornerback, and he's run in the four fives. He's got a 37, 38 inch vertical um, as, as tested at multiple camps. And so he's a really good athlete at six foot two. And now, having said all of that, he's a corner. Some people will say, well, maybe he'll be a safety. I don't know if he's quite got the physicality. Where I think he's really interesting, Derek is a six foot two kid who can run like that and can jump like that. I really think there's a lot of interesting things there potentially if you flip him across the ball nice. and ask him to go, you know, try out wide receiver because I do think that he's somebody that with the way that he runs, with the athleticism, with the length, all of those different things you're getting potentially a big 12 caliber athlete at wide receiver who hasn't really played wide receiver before. And so being able to to do that and make that switch, I think is what makes this maybe a little bit more intriguing than you would normally say it would be.
0: Yep. That sounds like a very Mangino thing to do that would work out. <laughs> Kevin, I appreciate the time, man. Have fun uh, bearing down tomorrow with signing day.
1: All right, thanks a lot, guys.
0: Hi, right, that's Kevin Flaherty. Give him a follow, at KFlaherty247 on Twitter. He and uh, you can find all his work with 24-7 Sports. Two hours down, one to go. We got our KU Basketball Heroes and Villains segment. Some Lance Leipold audio after that. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider coming at you tonight. Uh, Tomorrow's going to be a bit bit of a weird day here with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, We're going to be going live from 3 to 5.15. And then we're going to be airing a Hawk Talk bowl game special from 5.15 to 6.15. Then pregame coverage will start and tip-off will be at 630 for Kansas, Nebraska, and the women's basketball front tomorrow. Uh, That Hawk Talk will be airing live tomorrow, though, at 3.30 over on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We're just tape delaying it and playing it at the end of our show because we thought it would be weird to be like, hey, here's us for 30 minutes, then Hawk Talk, then here's us again for another hour or whatever. So uh, we will be doing that on tomorrow's show. All right, uh, KU Basketball Heroes and Villains from the Kansas-Indiana game. Let's start. Mm. Who is the offensive hero for KU?
3: Well, Kevin McCullough, the way, once again, scoring-wise, although it wasn't his most efficient game, uh, Hunter but Dickinson. But it sounds great
0: if you say 21 points on 11 shots. That does sound nice.
3: It was because he – all from the line. Yeah. I mean, if had, I say uh, he was 3 of 11, that does
0: not sound good. Yeah, didn't right? he hit 13 free throws? 13 of 16.
3: Yeah, so 13 free throws. So, I mean, can you really call him the offensive hero if he made three shots in the yeah. game? He also had four assists. So, okay, four – okay, all right, all right, my bad, my bad. Uh, then, you know, KJ Adams, 14 points, Hunter Dickinson – uh, also what, seventeen, 17 points. points? So, you know, those are the usual suspects suspects, but uh how about DeWan Harris? More aggressive leads to positive things for KU overall. Over ten points in the game. We've mentioned the stat a couple of times already. Twenty seven and one when, when DeWan Harris scores double digits. He was he was more aggressive. Uh he's going to be my offensive hero for this game. I would agree with that. He was he hit the most threes on the team tied with
0: Kevin McCullough. He had the best three point percentage in the game. He was the only player who took at least two shots, who shot above 50% in the game for KU. Uh he also had the five assists, 12 points, scored when you needed him to. Those two floaters were huge shots that he made. Uh, the the second three was especially a huge shot that he made. Played forty minutes like everything that you just said. Uh, I, I think that yes, he is the offensive hero. If I had to pick somebody else just for the sake of it, I think I would still pick Hunter Dickinson. I know eight yeah. of seventeen it's just the gravity he has out on the floor. He still sure. at 17 points, and, and just he makes some of those other teams have to defend them differently.
3: Some of those jumpers weren't falling for him. In that
0: no, game. that three was in. <laughs> it was in. It somehow popped out. <laughs> Screws a little tighter on that that rim, and maybe he ends up with 20 points. Yeah, Who's come your, on, uh, come on, Assembly Hall. I know, you know in Maui whatever. Invitational that was that was a three. That was a made three. Probably, yeah, probably. Who's your? Yeah,
3: okay. We did. I don't know. If we talked about this enough. The rims at in Honolulu were somehow still soft. Yeah, they just were. like they are in Maui. I thought that was just a Maui. It's, like it's just a it's just a Hawaii thing. thing. Is it like the humidity of the Hawaii? Humidity, the the thick the, air, the, the the sea air, the ocean Maybe. air. It's possible. Does that does that create loose rims? It could. Friendly I think we rims. we should Get our, our best
0: scientists on that. Uh, yeah,
3: I'll 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 get with the station and uh they'll I'll have them send me mm. to Hawaii. I'll only need to be and, out there for uh, six months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll take I'll take a. Yeah. It's gonna take me two weeks. Send me out there for two weeks, and uh, I'll examine very closely mm-hmm. every That's aspect. That's my favorite. When you have, like, hypotheses, is that, hypotheses which are,
0: uh, and, and I get it. This, this is science. Like, you can't control if there is uh, a conclusion or not. But you have this, like, long research paper, and then at the end, it's just like, and for conclusion, while... The study showed that it's very possible this is happening. We not don't sure. actually know.
3: Yeah, we're not it's sure. It's like, well, what was the point of all this? Anyway. We're not sure. Uh, the what? point of it was you get to hang out on a beach in Hawaii. <laughs> right. Come on. Defensive hero. Defensive hero. Well, I honestly want to go with K.J. Adams here. He ends up drawing the assignment of Kellaware, and Kellaware, while he's you know he he ended up with a double double, I think Kellaware did eleven points, fifteen uh, rebounds. Yeah, but I think he, uh, for for the most part, I think you take that if you're Kansas. Ware right? was three of twelve? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely take that. And and KJ Adams ended up drawing the matchup, and again, like we highlighted, I think clearly Bill Self and the coaching staff for KU must have recognized something that they liked on film with that matchup and said, you know what, hey, let's have KJ Adams, the, the you know kind of the more the stockier, stronger player guarding Kellaware and then we'll put Hunter Dickinson on, on Renault or we'll have Hunter Dickinson more outside the paint on defense. And and, and it paid off, I think. I think it, it, it. You know, the results speak for themselves. I think it definitely worked out for Kansas, and clearly they, they found what they thought would be a good strategy and went with it, and K.J. Adams showed up and, and, and did his part.
0: I agree that's the answer. Just to throw something else out there to get somebody else's name on the board, Um, I think you could maybe argue a little bit Hunter Dickinson too because there were times where maybe he was doubling in the post. He had 11 defensive rebounds, a block, and a steal. Uh, Kevin McCuller, I think you could argue a bit. He had six defensive rebounds. He had three steals and a block. He had a bunch of plays where he – he blocked – was it Renew or was it Ware that he blocked? Uh, Like from behind? No, he straight up blocked him. He was just on him in front of him. Mm. And it was like – I think it was Ware. Ware went up. Thinking that, oh, this guy's 6'6". six, six. I'm gonna Kevin McCullough said no. And he got up there and he jumped and he just like straight up stuffed him. So that one would be up there and he had a bunch of big steals. Uh, the reason I would still go with KJ though was there were times, it wasn't always Kevin. There were times where it was Kevin, there was times where it was Marco, there was times there was DeJuan. Uh, there were times where whoever was switched on to Trey Galloway. Anybody who tried to guard Trey Galloway could not stop him. No. Um, so that's why I would, I would lean KJ over Kevin. But I, I do think Kevin deserves some nomination there. Uh, what is your other hero?
3: Hmm. Other hero. Uh, it's gonna be a bench player. It can be, I don't know. Other I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with the boombox in the game in the, in the, in the, the post locker game room with KJ Adams <laughs> post game celebration. That's my other hero. The boombox, baby.
0: Uh, this is a good one. The boombox. <laughs> hmm. Or
3: I don't know. I mean, Jamari McDowell. Yeah, I mean, run McDowell three, maybe. Yeah, yeah, KJ Adams boombox. Dawn Harris towel hitting Justin Cross in the face. Wouldn't that be a villain? That would, yeah, that'd be a villain. That wouldn't be a hero.
0: I heard a lot of good things from KU fans who were. I, I mean, I don't think you can call this a hero, but I heard a lot of good things from KU fans that were there that said the Indiana fans were very welcoming and nice, and they liked the experience. So yeah. they're Midwest, baby. Come on, yeah, makes sense. Okay, what is the vil- Who are the villains?
3: Uh, the towel, that towel kept hitting Justin Cross in the face <laughs> in the, the post game video. Uh, well, I mean, there's one very obvious villain here. That's uh, His one. name is Trey, Trey Galloway. G- Trey Michael Jordan Galloway. Yeah. Uh, because I don't even know how to explain what happened there. He just went off. I'll be honest, like, in a normal game, this would be such
0: a shutdown case. It would just be Trey Galloway. It might still be Trey Galloway, but I'm open to having a conversation for two other guys. Okay. One of them I'm going to feel bad saying, so I'll probably end up removing Okay. But Trey Galloway was unstoppable. Twenty eight points, twelve seventeen, two of four from three. He hit the late three when it was like, okay, KU's gonna be able to finish this and out. He was, and was the guy like, that uh-oh. took the three that to try to yeah. tie it that I think that would have the front. I think they were down two. Oh, was it okay. Might have been. Um yeah. yeah, he was playing above I mean he averaged nine points per game. He'd only had like one one twenty point game. Anyway, the other one, Nick Timberlake was kind of a villain.
3: He was a self sabotaging <laughs> villain. A double agent, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he, listen, it was rough for him. Missed three. Missed an open three. Front end of a one and one. He was 0 for two from three. Front really, end of a one yeah, and one. Couldn't really do much kind else. Foul.
0: Yeah. Just, I don't know. Yeah. It was a tough time. Yeah. Here's the last villain. And this is the one that I'm most open to taking over for Trey Galloway. Trey Galloway obviously had the better game here. But this guy also played to me above what he had been to this point. Mackenzie and Baco. And when you add in the tie that you go back to the offseason. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. There were so many people assuming that Mackenzie Baco was going to pick Kansas after he yep. decommitted from Duke that he was going to pick Kansas. And then all of a sudden he shocks everyone, picks Indiana. Now, whether that was just stuff that was kept close to his vest and he did a good job keeping it under wraps, whether it was a last-minute thing that you know we kind of joked around that Mark Cuban came in with a big <laughs> NIL offer, right, whatever it was. You have that added storyline that this guy picked them over you. Who can be KU basketball's Mark Cuban?
3: By the way. Um I mean I know they well, have they, I mean, they have a lot of rich donors, yeah, but they don't have they one that is like like notable super, of a name, right? Like they don't have like basically, you know, for football it's it's,
0: right. it's David like, Booth. Like for all I know, David Booth has just as much money as Mark Cuban. But like if you asked any random person in a random state like South Carolina or California, yeah. who's Mark Cuban, they'd be like, I know. If I asked who's David Booth, they they probably think David know, right? Booth is more football, right? So does yeah. KU basketball have a guy like that? Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they have all sorts of people like that, to be honest. (laughs) But do they have that one like oligarch? Can we get Jeff Bezos in on this? Yeah. Would you Would you trade off KU basketball having an Amazon patch on the jersey if it meant that KU would have Amazon funds for NIL? Yeah. Why not? Okay. I mean, NBA teams already have NBA. What if they had to rename Allen Fieldhouse? Jeff Bezos Bezos Fieldhouse. Uh that so worth it. No. I mean, you get so many good players. No, anyway, I'm gonna draw the line uh, on that. And one. Baco on top of it, he was two of four from three. He came in shooting twenty percent from three. He had fourteen points. He came in averaging like eight or nine. And he had a couple good drives in the game. He had a couple big like fist pump plays. Um he had been struggling
3: coming into that game. So I yeah. I
0: think to me he's the biggest villain. Low yeah. key.
3: Villain. I also want to throw this out there villain, uh Mike Woodson's look of bewilderment. See, it I, doesn't make I, any sense. Every I time I wanted they to put show him there, but I just thought time, it was endearing. It was funny. Every was time charming. they show him, he just had a complete look of total bewilderment on his face. I legitimately I didn't I mean, see is him that, talk. Is the that how he game. looks the whole t- Is that how he looks just all the time? I like don't Does he look like that every, in everyday life. I was just very puzzled. Yeah. And I, literally every time they cut to him, it was like it was like that Doc Rivers meme of just his face looking like that for like five seconds. It really was. As
0: they uh, yeah, away. I, I didn't see him yell at the refs. I didn't see him talk to the players. I don't even it was weird. He was just quiet and looked uh, up in the air at different points. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a time out here, get to some uh, Lance Leipold audio coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN.